0: Well, I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10 this morning. John chapter 10, we're asking the question, why did Jesus come? And I was thinking about the gospel according to John in my study this week. I think if you just piece together all of the little one-off sermons we've done from the gospel according to John, we've almost preached the entire book, or at least a considerable portion of it. Uh, and this morning we turn to chapter 10. And then as you turn there, I'd like to read for us verses 1 through 21, uh, if you'd like to follow along, and I, I hope you will. Uh, John 10, 1 to 21, hear the words of Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father." There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, "'He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him?' Others said, "'These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is God's word.'" Why did Jesus come? It's a really important question to ask. I think it's an important question to ask in any year, but certainly this year, when it seems to me that there are some who are confused about what this whole Advent business is in the first place. I was struck by an article I came across on one of the major news outlets just this past week entitled, What is Advent? What is it? And in explanation, the writer of the piece says this, Advent is a season marked, or marking rather, the Preparation for and celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. It begins four Sundays before Christmas and ends on Christmas Eve. No, that doesn't mean Advent is all about Santa and getting gifts. Advent originates from Adventus, a Latin word meaning a coming, approach, or arrival, according to dictionary.com. What is Advent? It's a coming, it's an approach, it's an arrival. But why? Why? You know, it's one thing to know that Jesus came. It's an entirely different thing to know why he came. No one ever benefited simply from knowing that Jesus was born. But to know why Jesus came. What was his mission? What was his purpose? And that's what we're seeking to answer here from the Gospel according to John. Last week we saw from Mark the evangelist that Jesus came to serve. That was his stated purpose. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This morning we read, I wonder if you caught it, that Jesus came so that we might have life and have it abundantly. That's why Jesus came. And so we want to look at what Jesus says is the purpose or the, the reason for his coming. And we want to do so in the context this morning of John chapter 10, so that we will benefit from what we know about Advent or Christmas. Now, if you want this extended sermon from Jesus in a word or a sentence, it's simply that Jesus leads, saves, and loves his sheep. That's the big idea of this passage. Jesus leads, saves, and loves his sheep. And what John does is he gives us really the description of uh, uh, Jesus's description in verses 1 to 18. As Jesus describes himself, he uses highly metaphoric uh, language. He, he's describing who he is and his mission by way of image. And then we have the crowd's division in verses 19 to 21 as they're stirred up and sort of disagree among themselves about what Jesus has said. Now, in context, in chapter 9 of of the gospel according to John, Jesus has just healed a man who was born blind. It's one of the signs or uh, works of Jesus in this gospel that are meant to make us see that he is the Christ and to believe in him. That's John 20 uh, and verse 20 and 21 chapter 9 the sign uh, that's currently being discussed is Jesus healing a man born blind now after he's done this uh, the Pharisees the, the leaders of the Jews are so irate with this man uh, the man who was healed that they throw him out of the, sa- out of the temple their, their sort of standard line is you go with Jesus you go out of the temple that's just the way it works and as Jesus is dis- uh, discussing this with the man at the end of chapter 9, he says in earshot of the Pharisees, verse 39, for judgment I came into this world. Now there's another sermon about Christmas. Why did Jesus come? For judgment. It's not exactly a holly jolly Christmas, but it is one of the reasons that Jesus comes. He says, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. In other words, there's a reversal. Those who are lost and can't see, they're blind. I came so that they might see. And those who think that they see and are religiously proud and arrogant and trusting in themselves, I've come to blind them so that they don't believe. And Jesus here in chapter 10 is continuing to speak to his opponents. That's very key. Because what Jesus is about to say is very encouraging, very comforting for those who belong to him. But understand, in the first instance, Jesus is saying these words to his opponents, those who don't believe and have nothing to do with him. And in this description that he gives, he uses three images to describe himself that all sort of focus on leading or saving or loving his sheep. First, he uses the image of a shepherd. And I want to focus on that at the beginning, the image of a shepherd in verses 1 to 6. I mean, look at what Jesus says to these men. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. You see, A contrast, don't you? That there are some who enter the sheepfold uh, by means other than the door, and then there is the shepherd who enters by the door. These men are thieves and robbers. The one who comes through the door is a shepherd. Now, we're at a loss because we don't do very much shepherding, at least I don't. I'd assume you don't, uh, but I could be wrong. We're at a loss to sort of understand this imagery. In fact, I can remember reading a man who suggested that all of the shepherding imagery should be removed or, or sort of rethought in the Bible. We should get rid of it because it doesn't mean anything to people. I don't think that's the right answer. I think it just, we got to do some work to understand what Jesus is saying. The sheepfold was very often sort of like a stone wall uh, built around where the sheep would be kept. And there was an opening, where the door or the gate existed and the sheep would come in or out. And Jesus here says that the shepherd is the one who enters through that door. He's not climbing over the wall. Uh, Nothing good happens when you see someone trying to climb in a window. You know that that's probably, uh, there's something afoot there, right? And so when someone's trying to enter the sheepfold without going through the door, there's something afoot. That man is a thief and a robber. What Jesus is doing is he's, he's passing a sideways glance to the Pharisees. He's saying, you all are thieves and robbers, but I am the shepherd and I enter through the door. The gatekeeper opens for me. But the focus of these verses, I want to just read the emphasis. You hear it over and over again. The focus of these verses is on the voice, the voice of the shepherd. I mean, listen to what Jesus says. The sheep hear his voice, verse three, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he, brought it, when he has brought out all his own, verse 4, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. Why? For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. Why? For they do not know the voice of strangers. This is all about the voice. Now, I'm told that a shepherd in the ancient Near East could enter into a sheepfold where there would be sheep from multiple families. And the shepherd would call out his own sheep, and only his sheep would come. They'd hear his voice, and they would follow him. I don't know anything about sheep. I knew about dogs. When I was a, a little boy, we had a, a small miniature schnauzer named Gretel. She was the best dog you could ever imagine. I'm not, I, not very macho when it comes to dogs. This little lap dog, Gretel, the most faithful, amazing dog. And uh, I can remember when, when I was young, we would let Gretel out to do her business and we didn't have any leash on her. We didn't have an invisible fence or anything. She would just generally stay in our yard, but every now and then she would go into the neighbor's yard or the neighbor's neighbor's yard. Uh, and you wouldn't be able to see her. I can remember, I can almost hear his voice. You know, again, it's a story about my dad, but I can almost hear my dad's voice when he opened the garage door and said, Gretel. And you just wait, you know, like it, maybe 15, 20 seconds. And Gretel ran kind of sideways. She had some back injury issues. So, but you just see her kind of scurrying across all the lawns. All she had to do was hear his voice, and she would come running. And that's the image that Jesus is using that as the shepherd of his sheep, he leads his sheep by his voice. Let's just get as practical as we possibly can, shall we? I love it when the Bible takes something that is really sort of complex and theoretical and puts it on the bottom shelf so that we can access it. You know, when we talk about following Jesus, that's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who follows Jesus. It's easy to get lost in what does that mean? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, put simply... It means to hear his voice and to come running. The shepherd calls. He calls his own sheep by name, and they they follow him. And he brings them out, and he goes before them. Well, what it means to follow Jesus is to hear his voice and to respond. Now, this happens for... All of us who are followers of Jesus at conversion, I can still remember being a 20 something in a basically a college party house, being sitting in my bedroom by myself, reading of all things the gospel according to John, and hearing Jesus call my voice or my name. I didn't hear him audibly. I've never heard God speak audibly. He didn't, he didn't whisper Mike into my ear. But I came to understand that I was a sinner lost in my sin, that I had no recourse but to cast myself entirely on the mercy of God for the forgiveness of sins. I had no other option but to trust in Jesus as the one who paid the penalty that I deserved. I can remember my heart melting and tears flowing when he called my name. He used to do it to Mary later on at the resurrection in the gospel, according to John. You remember, she, she doesn't know who Jesus is. She sees him, resurrected Jesus. She thinks he's the gardener, and he says to her, Mary. And suddenly, all of her doubts and all of her uh, misunderstanding melts away. He called her name. ones, well, it continues, doesn't it, in our lives as Christians as we continue to expose ourselves to the voice of the shepherd, You cannot follow Jesus as your shepherd if you're not systematically and routinely hearing his voice. This is why we value the Bible so much. It's not because we value the Bible in itself. It's because we value Jesus. You can only follow Jesus if you hear him. That's why we preach for the Bible each and every week. We want to hear the voice of our shepherd so that we might follow him. For instance, you sort of approach New Year's and you're starting to think of, of things that you'd like to change about your life. I mean, I've got a list. I started eating. I told the staff, I started eating on Thanksgiving and I have not looked back. And uh, hopefully January 1, I can sort of correct things. But for many of us, we have uh, resolutions or goals about our spiritual diet. Let, let me tell you, there, there is nothing more fundamental to the Christian life than reading the Bible. Nothing. So I, I'm not much of a... But God knows how to deal with his people and how to, how to relate to his people. And he has chosen to relate to his people by a word. So let me encourage you to have some sort of Bible reading plan as you approach the new year. Start now. You don't have to wait until January 1. For some of us it might be reading the whole Bible. For some, others of us it might be reading the New Testament for the first time. For others of us, it might be as simple as saying, I've got three Bible books I want to read this year. I' got a gospel, I got a letter and I got revelation, that's where I'm. Sp- if, if that's all you do, that's fine. But hear His voice so that you might follow Him in obedience. That's what Jesus means to communicate here. And there is power in His voice, isn't there? The sheep hear and they just respond. It just happens because there's something powerful about this word. That's why we value it, because we value Jesus. And that's the emphasis here of Jesus as shepherd. But Jesus, if you'll allow me, he he mixes his metaphors, doesn't he? It tells me there's nothing really wrong with mixing metaphors because Jesus does that very thing. It's confusing when you first read John chapter 10 and you read of Jesus describing himself as a shepherd, That enters through the door, only then to find in verse 7 that Jesus says, I am the door. And this is our second image. Not only shepherd, where the emphasis is on his voice, but door, where the emphasis is on his salvation. But again, remember who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to the Pharisees, he's saying, you guys have all messed it up you're all thieves and robbers you don't care about the sheep i've come through the door they hear my voice they respond to me they follow me they reject you and they should you're strangers and we're told in verse 6 that when jesus uses this figure of speech they don't understand what he was saying to them they're clueless and so jesus in incredible patience i mean i can't even imagine having this kind of patience i pray for this kind of patience with his opponents, he says, "Okay, let's go. Let's go around the bases again. Let's try and let's try and put it in 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 a, in a sort of image that you'll understand." Verse seven. So Jesus again said to them, "Here we go. Different image. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now remember the sheepfold that I, I told you about the stone walls, and then there's a a gap where the sheep would go in and out." I'm told that very often shepherds would lie down in front of that opening and they would serve de facto as the door for the sheepfold. I can remember, um, I I think it was this year, but who knows the way time's going. It may have been last year, but I watched a documentary on Netflix that kind of spooked me and it had something to do with the kidnapping. So man, I'll tell you what, I got up off the couch and I laid down in front of Henry's bedroom door for about two hours till I calmed myself down and went to bed. Why? Because I had a desire to protect, to preserve. Here Jesus says, I am the door. What does that mean? All who came before me, again, the Pharisees are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find Pastor. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, here we go, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This idea of Jesus as the door, the answer that we're given. to why did Jesus come, has everything to do with his salvation, the salvation that Jesus brings. I am the door. My wife and I were talking about Charles Spurgeon. She's she's reading a Charles Spurgeon study Bible. And she was noting that in John 14, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the prince of preachers, Spurgeon, said, notice that Jesus does not say, I am a way, a truth, or a life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And here in this passage, notice that Jesus does not say, I am a door. He says, I am the door. In other words, there are no other doors. We live in a society and in a culture that is sorely confused on this point. We conceive of spirituality sort of as this large room with many doors and you can choose whichever door you'd like because they all open up into the same large room. You might walk through the door labeled Islam or the door labeled Hinduism or the door labeled Judaism or the door labeled new age thinking or the door labeled morality. They all lead to the same place. Not according to Jesus, they don't. Jesus says that the only entry point to the sheepfold of God, to the flock of God, to eternal life, is Jesus. There's only one way. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian and you hear this and you think, boy, that sounds really exclusive you're right it is exclusive it's only jesus but here's the brilliance it's also profoundly inclusive because that means he's the door for you it doesn't matter where you've come from it doesn't matter what you've done it doesn't matter what you've believed in the past jesus stands as the door for you if you will only enter through him and look at the promise that jesus makes as the door He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. We understand that. I came, this is what it means for me to be the door, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Friends, we think of eternal life, don't we, like in terms of its quantity, is the word I would use. In other words, we think about eternal life as eternal. We put the emphasis there. We think of heaven and living forever. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what eternal life is. But, In this passage, Jesus' emphasis is not on the quantity of life. In other words, the emphasis isn't necessarily on eternal. The emphasis is on the quality of life. The emphasis is on life. You know, I I said last week that a friend of mine told me uh, immediately upon my conversion... Welcome to the family. This is the hardest life you're ever going to live. And that is true. The Christian life is marked by suffering. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. But let me tell you, not only is the Christian life the hardest life you will ever live, the Christian life is the happiest life you will ever live. It is the best life you will ever live. It is the most meaningful, satisfied, contented life you will ever live. Now, when I say that, I do not mean it is your best life now in the sense that the author of that phrase means it. I do not mean that abundant life means for God, uh, God's intent to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's not true. No, what abundant life means, according to Jesus, is going in and out and finding pasture, being led by a good shepherd. It's, It's Psalm 23, isn't it? What's the first half of Psalm 23? This is the first passage I ever preached at First Baptist. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. CSB, I I need nothing. I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures, verdant and plentiful. He leads me beside still waters, tranquil and satisfying. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even when things are difficult, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Restored, comforted, fed, satisfied. I mean, you're going you're gonna to talk to somebody inevitably this Christmas season as I do. It seems like every, every year where they say, what do you want for Christmas? The person says, oh, I I have everything I want. Don't give me anything. Man, that's when you got to pull out the checkbook, right? You don't want anything? Come on. Man, if I brought that new hunting rifle out, ladies, that new piece of jewelry, kids, that coveted PlayStation 5, I'm sure, I'm sure you'd be happy to receive it. So what do you want? You know, what we do each and every year around Christmas time is we try to fill a void with stuff that can only be filled with Jesus. We try to satisfy our souls with, some, with things that, that can't do it. Only Jesus can do it. Only Jesus can give abundant life, the kind of life that leads a man or a woman to say, I don't need anything because my soul is satisfied. I'm literally full. Yes. Can we wait till I'm done? Thank you, sister. Yeah, we'll just wait till I'm done, okay? Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our souls. He's the door. He came to give us life, life with a quality unlike any other. What are your deepest longings, needs? Jesus meets them. Thirdly, Jesus returns to this image of shepherd, but this time he uses the imagery of a good shepherd. Now we focused on his voice, we focused on his salvation, and now we focus on his care or his love. And this is absolutely incredible, friends. Listen to what Jesus says, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. He says it again, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. Shepherd, And again, we have a contrast, but the contrast now is not shepherd, thieves, and robbers. It's shepherd and hired hands. And again, he's looking at the Pharisees and saying, you are hired hands. You care nothing, verse 13, for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father a hireling doesn't care for the sheep the first time a wolf shows up the response is this is not what i was hired to do this is not what i signed up for i'm gone the first moment of difficulty but here jesus says i'm not like that why because i know the sheep well how do you know the sheep i know the sheep like i know the father and the father knows me I want you to allow that kind of intimate knowledge to seep into your soul. Is there any ounce of unknown knowledge between the persons of the Trinity? Is there anything that the Son doesn't know about the Father or the Spirit about the Son? No, there is perfect knowledge and intimacy, and Jesus says, that is how I know my sheep. When I was in seminary, I had to read a book by Timothy Laniac, who writes a lot about shepherding. And he, he talks in one of his books about the way that Middle Eastern shepherds today, in darkest night, in the middle of the night, they can merely rub their hand across the back of one of their sheep and know exactly which one it is. And Jesus says, if you're mine, I know you like that. But even more than that, because I know everything there is to know about you. I know everything that you've ever done. I know every fear that you have. I know every failure that, has, uh, that you have failed. I know what keeps you up at night. I know your temptations. one level, that is incredibly unsettling, isn't it? I mean, those of you who are married, you, you'll know that... E- you have moments, don't you, where you think, man, if my spouse knew everything about me, I don't know that they'd want to stay married to me. And I joke, I hear this from Dick Lucas, but he's right. If I knew what you guys were really like, I wouldn't bother preaching to you. And if you knew what I was really like, you wouldn't bother listening to me. Does anybody really know you? And if they did, would they, would they love you? Here here is this theme of perfect knowledge. the, The son knows his sheep, but it's coupled with an incredible love and concern for the flock. Even though he knows everything about me, he doesn't run when the wolf shows up. He lays down his life. Precisely because he knows everything about me, he is willing to lay down his life for me. Because he knows who I really am, he goes to the cross on my behalf. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, it's because Jesus knows exactly what's going on in your heart and in your head that he goes to the cross on your behalf. This is incredible. Because this meets the most basic human need, as Tim Keller says, to be fully known and yet fully loved. In human relationships, you might be loved, but you're not fully known. And if you were fully known, you wouldn't be fully loved. But in Jesus, we have both. Jesus continues I have sheep that are not of this fold. Speaking of the Gentiles, not just Jews, I must bring them also. There'll be one flock of Jew and Gentile, one shepherd. And I love this. There, there's no bravado in this. It's just the simple truth of verses 17 and 18. Precisely because I know you and precisely because I love you, I lay down my life. You know, it's not... I mean, there there is a perspective, right, that... Uh, Why does Jesus die? Jesus dies because he's betrayed and killed by sinful men. But ultimately, why does Jesus die? Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. How are you going to take the life away from God? I lay it down. I volunteer. I go to the cross. And I raise it back up again. Because I know and I love my sheep. The Savior. This is abundant life. Fully known, fully loved. After Jesus describes himself, there's now a a division among the people, verse 19. We'll just briefly cover this. The division of the crowd, the crowd's division, verse 19. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. They'd been divided about his works when he healed a man born blind. Now they're divided about his words, he has a demon as an, and is insane. Why listen to him? Others say this can't be, these, these aren't the words of a man oppressed by a demon. A demon-possessed man cannot open the eyes of the blind. There's a famous, a famous um, quote by C.S. Lewis where he presents the possibility that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. If he's not a liar, there's no evidence to suggest that he's lying and he's not crazy. There's nothing to suggest that he's crazy that he must be Lord. And that sort of shakes out here at the end of the chapter. There's a division about who Jesus is. And look, he he can't be crazy. He doesn't sound crazy. He doesn't act crazy. So he must be Lord. But more fundamentally, there's this truth that Jesus speaks to the Pharisees after, after this dialogue. And they come to him and they say, if you are the Christ, just tell us plainly. This is the very next passage. If you're the Christ, just let us know Why do you keep us in suspense? And Jesus says, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And so what will you do with this Jesus who came that his people might have abundant life? Will you hear the voice of the shepherd and follow him? And so prove yourself to be one of his sheep. Pray that you will. Pray that you will confess your sin and your need for this great Shepherd." this morning, and to find that he will lead, save, and love you now and forevermore, because this is why he came. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, who is all that he says he is, that he is the the shepherd whose voice goes out in power and his own respond to it. Father, we pray that we be marked by hearing the voice of your son and responding. Pray for the one who Uh, doesn't know you here this morning, that they would hear you call their name, they would hear your voice, that they would confess their sin, that they would begin to follow you. We thank you that Jesus is the door who came to give us abundant life, a quality of life that is unlike anything uh, anyone else has ever experienced, a life of satisfaction in Jesus because our greatest needs have been met a life of forgiveness and acceptance and love. We thank you that Jesus is the good shepherd who doesn't run at the first sight of danger, but rather runs into the line of fire for his people, laying down his life on the cross precisely because he knows us and loves us. Knows all of our sins, all of our failings, and yet lovingly lays down his life for us. He wields his authority for the good of his people. Lord, as we um, anticipate the close of this very hectic and chaotic year, I'm sure that many of us, like like Judy, have reasons to praise you, ways in which you have provided for us in unexpected and incredible ways. And so, Lord, we want to give you all the glory. We want to be like uh, the... Um, the leper who returned and said, thank you. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for all that you have done and all that you are doing and all that you will do. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, may the love of God the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his grace.